How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? CuriosityStream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com gift. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Custard TV podcast. I hope that you're well. It is me, Matt, once again. Uh, sorry if you missed us last week, but there wasn't a lot to review, uh, so we decided to take a break. And we're back this week with four new shows to discuss, and I cannot do this alone. So I am joined, first of all, by Dawn in the Scotland area, very off-brand because it hasn't really snowed very much for you, Dawn. No, it hasn't. We've had a gloriously sunny week. I would say it was beach weather, but <laughs> it was at least not snowing. Did you get to see the Northern Lights at all? Apparently they were spectacular. I, I have friends who um, are into photography, somebody I know who actually moved out to live near Glam's Castle purely for the dark sky, you know, so you can, can uh, use his telescope. And he took some spectacular photos of the Northern Lights, but I did. I just didn't leave the house, so <laughs> can't see them out my bedroom window. Then uh, I'm not going to see it. <laughs> Fair enough. And a woman who is very prepared for the cold, so much so that she is wearing a what would you call that today? A, sh- a snood. And, and who also revealed blanket hoodies. A blanket hoodie, and revealed that when she goes out, she double gloves. Sarah Kennedy, how are you? I'm always prepared, thank you, and I'm I'm pretty cosy now. It's a cold house. I thought about not speaking to Sarah today because Sarah got Eurovision tickets and I didn't, so I'm a little bit jealous. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> not sorry about that. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy how fast they went. And it was yeah. so funny because someone in my office, who's quite a culture vulture, she raised one eyebrow in a wry fashion and went, maybe the queue isn't going to be quite as bad as you think it's going to be. It is Eurovision. And I was like, yeah, it's Eurovision. All of Europe. All of Europe. All going through Ticketmaster UK. Yeah. No wonder there were problems. I've said this several times, but I think they should go back to you actually having to go somewhere to buy tickets. A box office. A box office, because that would prevent all the blooming touts and everyone who sold them on eBay and I didn't even want a ticket. They're not going to make the effort to go to, I was going to say HMV, but they don't exist anymore. <laughs> but that's where you used to go to get your tickets, isn't it? Back in the mm-hmm. olden days. Um, that's right. I did have to explain, you, the other day, you know those moments where you feel really old. I had to explain to two younger colleagues what the milk tray man was the other day. <laughs> 
This could be a podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. Coming up today, the third series of Ted Lasso is debuting. A holdover from last week that we would have discussed if we did a podcast, that is Daisy Jones and the Six on Amazon Prime. Sky Max's new 80s-based thriller, A Town Called Malice, and on ITVX, Barley 2002, which is a true-life drama. But first, let's go to what we've been watching in our week off. Dawn, what about you? What have you been watching? I finished The Consultant that we reviewed. Oh, okay. It was decent. It didn't answer all the questions that I wanted answered, though, but I did enjoy it. And in the same vein, I started Severance. Seen the first three episodes of Severance, and it influenced me so much. I had a Severance based dream in which I was split into two people. So I'm I'm not <laughs> binging Severance <laughs> because it's too it's too bleak to binge a lot of at once. So I'm just watching one episode of that at a time, uh, mm. and I'm also keeping up with Unforgotten. So hurrah! As am I, Sarah. Are you? Yeah. Do we have a quick really... Unforgotten? chats then absolutely wanted to press ahead because now i'm watching it was too busy one night and went oh I'll, that'll keep i'll watch that in a bit and now i'm watching it on itvx i just want to see them all <laughs> which we should say now is on sky q boxes rudely did it after oh, we recorded finally um so yeah so i've watched up to episode three which will be out by the time this podcast comes out are you guys uh, episode two or yeah that's right i've only seen episode two I'm watching as God intended weekly, so exactly. <laughs> I've watched God one intended. a week, but not always on the day that it it drops. It gives me the opportunity to talk about the episode that will be on before it's been on. But yeah. episode two, we got the reveals of the connection between two of the characters and the body, and the body was identified as well. It was a lady called Precious. Dawn, as someone sort of not familiar with with Unforgotten previous, normally would you say, Sarah, that by the end of episode one or sort of midway, you get like your dead body and you get most of your connection so you know where you're going. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and the reason why they couldn't do that this time was that it would have rushed the new character arc. Mm. Jessie's come in, she's having the worst day of her life we have to talk about that, we have to talk about grief, we have to talk about the team so there was a lot more of that focus this time, so I did feel by the end of episode one we'd been a little bit shortchanged on who these people were, like who's the French guy who doesn't doesn't have a girlfriend, is he French is he not, what's he doing in Paris all of these things were just cast aside but the thing is you have to have faith that that is coming, it's just they couldn't squash it all into one episode for you the restaurateur was the mother of the lady and the, the drug dealer is her son, Dawn. Yeah, I thought that was good. I wasn't expecting that at all because she doesn't look very old, but obviously they mentioned that um, she was very young and obviously she has a lot of issues which obviously passed on to Precious that she was a drug addict and all the stuff about, you know, that they were squatting in the in the house and that's possibly where the murder happened. I enjoy all this, like, really seemingly dull procedural stuff you know when you know when you saw them lifting all the the planks of wood i really enjoy that kind mm. of side of things so i really like that they give that time and it's not just 
all the people. It's yeah. always been very meticulous and it gives a lot of praise to the, the paper pushers in the office, you know, the backroom boys who wouldn't get a look in in any other cop show. That's and my job. That... I'm a backroom boy for the police. Exactly. <laughs> and it, it, it sort of grounds it in that reality and it lets those people have a, a, their moment in the sun. And I think if any of your relatives ever went missing, if anything ever happened to you, this is how you would want to be looked after. And I think that it's exactly how things should work. And sadly, you know, things don't work like that in the real world. And actually the theme throughout the series, having watched episode three and it's more abundant in that, is the theme of things being defunded and the lack of resources with the police. And it goes into more, you know, we saw social care represented towards the end of episode two and and becomes a bigger theme in episode three and how that's been defunded and how one of the characters being a Tory peer plays into it as well almost trying to sort of atone for his sins and people telling him yeah I liked that it was obvious that he was extremely rich even before we saw his house in the fact that at the end of episode two he's got some bad news we haven't been told explicitly but we expect that it's terminal cancer but he's gone to find that out with his doctor on harley street he's not in you know <laughs> consultant's little cubby hole in the middle of the defunded nhs then we see him at the uh, youth club he's trying to do both and, and i wonder if he's atoning for something there's a great scene in episode three between him and the mum of the lad he was playing table tennis with in, in episode one. But I think by the end, you do get some connection between all four characters and uh, and Precious. And what do you think you did mention her um, of Jess, of Sinead Keenan? Because I think it's hard to introduce a new character, especially when, you know, Nicola Walker was so beloved you know, she's quite a, you know, we're bringing her in at a difficult time in her life. She's not really got her mind on the job. So it, mm-hmm. it's hard as an audience member, I think, to get on board with her, especially when you're stacking her up against Cassie. What do you think, Sarah? The reason why she is so different is so that we can draw a line between the two. And she's coming and being a bit grumpy and being a bit difficult and being different. And I think that's a brave choice, especially for a female character. And I think it's very well written. I was bristling. I was like, what do you mean you're not going to take on cold cases anymore? And then I was like, oh, that's exactly how he wants me to feel. Well done, Chris. The very best moment, this sense of realism that would happen in your day to day life, but never happens on TV is when she's standing next to the car after they've just given the news to Precious's family and I don't know he's out of earshot Sonny's out of earshot and just under her breath she goes dick Mm. which is what everybody has done to their colleague at some point in their life they've probably done it about me if I've not done it about it exactly it's it's (laughs) It's like the weirdo on the bus thing isn't it so real and it just makes me smile. I think that was the moment when I was like, oh, no, I, I think I can. I think I can grow to like this woman. <laughs> it's hard, I suppose, but I can sort of see what he's doing. And I think, you know, she's trying to fit into this sort of well-oiled unit. And they bring up again in episode three, you know, she's been fast tracked to this role. And maybe she doesn't quite know what she's doing and how like old-fashioned police work should work, as you said, Dawn, about this sort of methodical 
Ness, she sort of takes against it a bit, saying that they're working at a glacial pace, that sort of thing. So, And Dawn, are you tempted, once this series is finished, to go back? I think I will, definitely, because, as uh, Sarah said, you know, that's how they, they do... They've always done the series, is this, like, focus on the police procedure. And I really find that uh, engrossing more than other other cop shows of the same kind yeah, it's it's the real work it's not the like yeah. unconventional genius that comes in and solves everything in two minutes yeah. at the end of the episode i really love how things are done show me how things are made and the you know the behind the scenes stuff and the scripting and the special effects and everything i love all that stuff so it's the same with with this is that i want to see how each step of the investigation is done and and the amazing developments we've had you know that how they can analyze this house they haven't been in for 20 years how they can analyze it and find blood splatter and Mm. uh, whatever else they're going to find i just find that amazing it's like it's like magic (laughs) but it's science (laughs) so is there anything else that you've been watching i am very tempted to go back to sky max and have a proper look at funny woman the adaptation of Nick Hornby's uh, novel, Funny Girl, because I've watched some stuff actually for the podcast this week <laughs> that's made me go, oh, comfy retro shows are good, aren't they? But Funny <laughs> Woman was, was a step above easily. I, I enjoyed it and it was kind of comforting, mm. but also, you know, it addressed a lot of sexism in the 60s, violence against women and stuff like that, but in a, in a good way, in an interesting way. And, and I, I quite liked that. Um, and I've also finally got to the end of season three of Brassic, which is fabulous okay. storytelling. And I cannot wait to watch the next series. So basically, Sarah is recommending all of Skymax programming so far today. We'll have to <laughs> That's see. That's right. There's a bit of a teaser for later on. Thanks. And I finally made it through uh, Extraordinary. I've watched all of that now, uh, thanks to a... You uh, make it sound like it was a chore. It's marvellous. No, no, no. (laughs) But I I got the free three-month Disney Plus from the Tesco Club card offer, so I (laughs) resubscribed. I don't think I was as high on it as you guys seem to have been. I didn't think it would be as maybe as much of an ensemble as it was. Mm. Jen, is it, the main character? Yeah, yeah. I found her the least interesting of the four characters by the end. Her friend, I thought, was really was really interesting in terms of like the power she had and how no one wanted to listen to her and her boyfriend, you know, wanting to be the vigilante, but ultimately being the, the fool and and Gislord, I thought he was his performance. I don't know I don't know the name of the actor, but just like pretend that you've been a cat for a long Someone, someone said to me, someone I know said to me, did they find an actor who used to be a cat? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. He's incredible. I think they set it up in the first two episodes, like, this is going to be her story. Obviously, the, the end is that she's now got enough money to go to this clinic. And again, I like the way that they did it. I found it a little bit uneven, but I'm definitely going to sort of stick with it. And I thought Siobhan McSweeney's lines in that last episode were just... Was it, you run out of crisps at 11 o'clock, who did the Ocado, Bobby Sands? <laughs> <laughs> the way she said Ocado, like, said it like no one has ever said it before, but there you go. Um, so that's sort of what we've been watching uh, before uh, we reveal what we're watching currently, what we've watched for the podcast. Sarah, what can we find out 
what you should have been watching in February. <laughs> you can find that out by reading my article, my regular monthly article that is on whynow.co.uk. Dawn, have we got any shipyard updates? No? Not at the moment, no. But I do. I have an article on the cast of TV at the moment, uh, which is the review of the second, well, the first half of the second season of Abbott Elementary. Um, also up on the custardtv.com, Luke has written about um, mid-2000s comedy Early Doors. I don't know if either of you ever watched that. It was sort of Craig Cash's follow-up to the royal family, so it's sort of one setting, it's in a pub. There were only two series. I believe that they took did like a live show a couple of years ago, just sort of very pre-pandemic. Luke has had a lot of positive praise for it. Uh, the co-creator, Phil Mealy. Uh, is among the people praising him so if you've not read that yet give it a read because it's one of the shows that Luke is very passionate about and you know what Luke gets like when he is passionate about a program also the the old coming soon is being updated by myself so we've got new trailers up there at the moment including the sort of the full succession trailer the new sort of full yellow jackets trailer that is up there and I think the most anticipated one for Dawn is the full trailer for Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies. Which... <laughs> <laughs> I am very excited and fearful. It just seems like a bizarre idea in 2023 to do like a, a, a Grease prequel. Yeah. Is it a pink wall? I'm... No, Greek wall. Grease surely. pink wall. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Custard TV podcast. The official podcast of the custardtv.com. Ted Lasso is back for the third series, and they were touting this as the final series as well. Uh, Brett Goldstein and uh, Jason Sudeikis and Bill Lawrence were saying, you know, we've written the third season as the final season. But subsequently, there's been some rumblings that they said, oh, we could bring it back. And I think at the moment, with so many final seasons upon us, Barry, Succession, obviously Happy Valley's just finished. I think there's a bit of a question mark over this. But this is uh, beginning with Ted seeing his son off at the airport. Obviously, he's quite upset about this. He's quite anxious about this. We've also got uh, the news that papers are predicting that after being promoted last season, the AFC Richmond will be relegated. We've also got Nate who uh, betrayed the team at the end of the last series and has now working for Anthony Head's evil Rupert Mannion uh, at West Ham United. Uh, you can see that he's sort of very out of place, even though he sort of projects this confidence every so often, you know, you see the old Nate and, you know, he's still shaken by Ted's ability to laugh things off as we see in a press conference there's also this question ted has throughout the the episode about why am i still here you know i know why i came here to begin with but what is the reason for me staying on which sort of plays into the will this be the final season question and we've also got uh keely who's got her pr firm now and is struggling to sort of be the boss and it's impacted on her relationship with roy there's a lot of strands going on here. Fans of the show, we all are, but I think we all started late. I know I binged it just as the second season was ending. Dawn has just finished the series. And Sarah, how did you watch it? Binged a lot, um, but had to wait a little while for season two. Okay. So it was definitely a pandemic show for me. 
and and sort of thoughts on the show as a whole before we dive into this first episode of season three Sarah um interesting because I've been uh looking at a couple of articles this morning uh one in particular deep dive from Vox uh, a couple of years ago about the backlash to season two uh because it became slower it was more introspective it was more contemplative literally it became slower because the uh uh, Apple said that they wanted longer run times, um, so it wasn't a half-hour comedy anymore. Um, series one was so uncomplicated; it was pretty low stakes. It was cute. It was unassuming. Then suddenly, bam! It was all about each character going through their own personal crisis, and it was like a banner program for mental health. Even though I know that there was pretty heavy dollops of foreshadowing, it still felt like Nate's conclusion at the end of series two came out of nowhere. As his hair got greyer, he got more evil. <laughs> so I know that, generally speaking, the critics and the fans found it kind of uneven. The sort of emotional payoff at the end of, of season two was was good. But yeah, it's it's very strange. We're definitely talking about a very different show than what it was in the first series. And which do you prefer? Really hard to say mm. because I binged all of series one, so I approached mm. it in a different way to series two. There was some padding in series two that I did not like. I really liked Coach Beard and I was so excited for his standalone episode and it was just a bit rubbish. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it, it's a comforting show, but there's mm. aspects of it that are, are somewhat unlovely. It's more complicated than it seems on the surface. So, yeah, it's complicated is my status update. <laughs> I have to say I preferred season two, I think, because, you know, you mentioned the focus on mental health, which Brett Goldstein and Bill Lawrence have now sort of developed into another series, Shrinking, which has been announced for a, a second season this week. I think it sort of explains the character of Ted Lasso because, you know, he, he is almost like a stereotype and peeling back the layers of his vulnerability and why he puts on that character, you know, as a coping mechanism almost. I think really works because often you just get these likeable, happy-go-lucky characters and there's no real explanation and they feel a little bit inauthentic, but I think Mm. they brought that authenticity to it by, you know, revealing about his dad's suicide, which I think worked really well. And that scene was really well played. And I agree with you about the Coach Beard episode. It was very sort of experimental, although I did like the Christmas episode. It's funny because as you're speaking, I was trying to think of what I can remember from season one. Obviously, because I binged it, it is a bit of a mishmash in my brain. But the season two episodes stick in my mind much more. And I think Mm -hmm. it's the the reason you said, Matt, is that it shows the characters. And that's what I'm more interested in, is that getting into the character's psyche and understanding why they are and... I really enjoyed that. I mean, the Coach Beard episode, it was like that episode of Stranger Things, you know, when um, Eleven goes to New York or whatever. Mm. When you're a successful series, you can take an episode to just do something a bit, oh, let's just do this for fun. You know, the Christmas episode, the funeral episode, uh, a lot of season two does resonate more. I didn't know about the, the, there was a lot of backlash for season two. I hadn't read that, so... Um, that's surprising me because I think that's really getting to the meat of what the show's about, really, isn't it? It's about why he's so not happy-go-lucky. That's not the word, but uh, positive and you know, glass half full, and 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 why the other characters are the way they are. 
And I think maybe there was that element of escapism that people liked and, you know, you didn't want to go behind these characters to see why they were. But actually, you know, for example, someone like Jamie, Jamie Tart is Tart, isn't it? His first, you know, he was just like this arrogant guy in the first season season. And then you find out, you know, his really poor relationship with his dad and at the end where he and Roy hugged, you know, catharsis really. So different opinions but Dawn episode one alone how did you feel at the end of that I have to say there are a lot of comedies we watch and I watch them and think oh Sarah and I mentioned this a few weeks ago I think we were talking about pleasant comedies and a lot of them are pleasant and I think I was entertained and I I was amused but I don't laugh out loud but I did laugh out loud several times at uh, this episode the dialogue is just so sharp and so real believable in in a way like i know this sounds an odd comparison but like victoria wood the same kind of conversations that people have your conversation goes from one thing to another and then back to what the serious thing you're talking about and they capture that so well they don't lose any of that i think it's interesting in this first episode because it takes us back to some of the themes of season one pitting uh, rebecca and ted against each other in that they what different things Rebecca is so caught up in wanting to defeat Rupert and be him, you know, some somehow be above him. And Ted doesn't care about winning or losing. And she's saying to him, "You care about this. You want to. We want to fight the fact that everybody thinks we are going to be twentieth. So in a way, it's sort of taking us back to that dynamic. But in that one episode, it wrong-footed me because I thought, oh, they're setting this up as the dynamic for season one, that, you know, she's going to be unhappy with him and he's just going to say, but then, no, they have a press conference and Ted is Ted and you see Rebecca melting and smiling and that she thinks, yeah, Ted should be Ted and do it his way and fighting isn't necessarily the way to to go. So I thought that was really nice, but that that it takes the season one dynamic but also adds layers of experience they've had with each other so that it takes it to a different level but we still have the same idea of why is Ted here and does he want to go home obviously the Roy and uh, Keely shippers will be sad that they have broken up or are on a break I I like that that it's not super clear in the first episode what's happened but it's clear they're not entirely on the same footing. There's also a big hint that Roy is is just protecting himself. A lovely moment in that scene with Phoebe where he's talking about his new job because he's had to step up and take Nate's place. Keely immediately says, yeah, but you're going to do it well because she can't, she can't help herself. She sees what it is that's causing him to behave like this, to push her away, is this fear that he's not good enough and that he's not going to do well. And she can see it, but she doesn't push it. She just says it and then drops it. And I love that we got to see Dr. Sharon again so that they showed that even though that was the season two story, it still carries on, which is a nice visual way to show that the stuff that happens in season two is very much relevant in season three. Um, and, And it's just nice to not drop a character completely like that, even though they're not part of the main story. Uh, yeah, pretty much all the same. Very important question. Does anyone want to buy me a massive ceramic leopard like in Keeley's office? <laughs> on the internet, they're about £500. I have actually looked at them previous to seeing them on Ted Lasso. 
I think they're brilliant. I'd love one. Are they on your Amazon wish list? Mm, they should be now, shouldn't they? Hey, podcast <laughs> fans. Um, taking the the sort of proxy battle between Rebecca and Rupert, do you think that Nate's kind of their sad son, isn't it? Because Rupert is standing in the sidelines while Nate has a really bitchy session at the press conference and sort of nodding saying, yes, you should say all of the mean things about Ted. And I do feel very bad for Nate. Quite cleverly, I think it, it looks like he's having a panic attack. He hides behind the desk. Uh, these prying journalists don't know what's happening. And in flashback, we see the things that annoyed him about Ted. So he's still motivated by this anger, or although he kind of has to conjure it up to sort of become the wonder kid. I want more Roy and I want more Keely because I missed them this episode. They weren't in it enough for me. Miss Ship over there, do you think they are going to... Because I'm a bit worried they're going to do a love triangle this series with Jamie and Roy uh, and Keely. Funnily enough, uh, I was thinking about it a lot because one of my friends is a huge Roy and Keely shipper and she was saying apparently there was a live screening of the uh, episode in some place and so people on the internet were talking about the, the breakup and she was like, oh, I'm so worried that they're going to have this love triangle. I hope they don't. I suspect they might show Healy softening and thinking about getting back together. But my hope is that they'll show Jamie being the one to say, no, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. I know you're actually Roy and you, you, you wouldn't be with me for the right reasons. You know, I, I'm hoping they'll show that emotional growth from him and he will stop it happening. And she'll That's true. He's, he's and, a lot more mature than when we first met yeah. him. I mean, I think it's evident from the way they play it that Roy and Keely is endgame. They will get back together. This is about Roy's own issues with himself, not about how he feels about Keely. And I think they will be together at the end. But we don't need a midship, as uh, we call them in the shipping world. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, again, agree with everything you said. Just a, one thing that you didn't bring up that I think they are to, because Anthony Head is a regular this season and it does look like turning into some sort of Bond villain. That his office was <laughs> just like a Bond villain layer. His assistant was absolutely brilliant, that character that they've introduced. He'll just sort of stand there coldly and, you know, as you say, all of uh, Roy Kent's lines are brilliant. I liked when he talked about being a pundit and he said all we did is talk shit and eat fucking meringues. So <laughs> <laughs> it was so random. The Ted motivational things. I I don't think they're getting old. The, the you know the the sort of grand tour of the sewers and you know again. No, I liked that. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know where that was going. I think you know if you're not on board with Ted Lasso by now, having tried it, you might not get on board with it. But I, you know, people like Dawn are discovering the show every day. And you know, if you have Apple TV, we would strongly recommend that you check it out. And this uh, third season is airing weekly on Wednesdays on Apple TV+. Uh, We now turn to Amazon Prime. Six episodes currently up on Amazon Prime. It's Daisy Jones and the Six. And Dawn is just going to run us through the basics of this one. I think there's going to be 10 episodes. I'm not entirely sure. No, no, you're right. Yeah, it's it's yeah. three, three, two, and two. Just for some reason, the episode releases. <laughs> is that a football layout? Three, three, two? I think it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Daisy Jones and the Six is a show which is telling us about a seventies rock band. 
very influenced by Fleetwood Mac, obviously. Uh, it's a fictional band called Daisy Jones and the Six. And the setup is that it's a rockumentary. This is in the 90s, following up on why they split up in 1977 after a sellout, huge gig. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The U.S. Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov career usbp. Showing their um, best-selling album, Aurora, which, by the way, is Latin for dawn, so that's why uh, I've Aww. got an interest in them. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Fleetwood Mac, you know, they've got a big, huge best-selling album. They're doing a huge stadium tour. They play a gig, and it is their final performance, and they split up. None of the band have talked to the press about it since. Making this documentary is the first time all the, the band have sat down to talk about what happened. And so they take us back through their history. The lead characters are Daisy Jones, she's the, the lead singer, along with Billy Dunn, who's the lead singer. Uh, Daisy's paid, played by Riley Keough, who is Lisa Marie Presley's daughter. And uh, Billy June is played by uh, Sam Claflin. Daisy was brought up in LA, very privileged, but she was neglected and she had quite an abusive mother. And she finds solace in music and sneaking out to clubs on the strip. When she's like 14, 15, she becomes a real muso and a drug user. She doesn't have a desire to perform, but she starts writing poetry, really, for herself, and then songs. Meanwhile, in Pittsburgh, we have the Dunn brothers, which is the older brother, Billy, and his younger brother, uh, Graham. Billy has a reputation as being a ladies' man and a bit of a cool rocker dude. He wants to be a rock star. And so does his younger brother, Graham, who plays the guitar. Graham forms a band with his school friends, Eddie and Chuck and Warren. And they, first of all, invite the older brother, Billy, just to check them out. He becomes the lead singer. He's got all the Mick Jagger swag and charisma they need. They start performing, getting gigs, doing lots of small town gigs. Eventually, they move to L.A., uh, along with Billy's girlfriend, Camilla. Um, meanwhile, Daisy starts to realise she wants to perform because she accidentally gives one of her songs away to somebody who uh, has a number one hit with it. And so finally, at the end of the episode, she sings for the very first time in a bar and we see her happiness. Meanwhile, the Dunn brothers come to um, Ellie to find their fortune and we know that eventually they will become Daisy Jones and the Six because the band will change their name to the Six at some point. It's very much uh, how they became who they are and what led to the toxic elements that lead to a split. Uh, what did you think of it, Sarah? Right, I'm going to caveat all this with the fact that <laughs> The fact that my friend, who seems to be a nice person, she says the book's good. One, Daisy Jones and the Six is a terrible name for a band. 
So this is meant to be a fake documentary put together 20 years after their album Rumours. Sorry, I mean Aurora. <laughs> 20 years is ridiculous. All the actors look the same. Just cast some people to play them as older people, for God's sakes. They all look far too clean for like the early 70s, like rock, hippie kind of stuff. It's a constant little irritation, just sort of brings you out of the story. And the very fact that they are peppering this with talking heads every five minutes means that the story doesn't flow. You try and suspend disbelief for a bit and then you get pulled back out again. And I bet Luke hates this. The really strange thing is that Amazon have have put together and released a whole album in this fake band's name. Uh, Pitchfork have given it a 6.6 and called it Broadway Tribute to Fleetwood Mac. If this is meant to be a seminal band and the music is meant to be the most incredible thing that's ever happened in this sort of like fictional America, then maybe the show shouldn't focus on this very so-so music and just tell the story instead. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So you liked it? (laughs) It's background TV. It's Hmm. fine. But don't try and make it into a big thing because it it suffers under the weight of our expectations if you are comparing this band to like the very best that came out of America in the early 70s. I think the problem is that you're just sitting there going, God, I wish I was watching a Fleetwood Mac biopic. And, and you're right, Sarah, any time that there's a, a, a piece of fiction or work, whether it be a film or a TV show, of a, a, a fictional band, you are thinking about the music. And we haven't got that far yet into the music of Daisy Jones and the Six, but you're there thinking, well, is this band that good? You know, it's it's hard, I think, when you're doing something about a fictional band. At the moment, you know, the, the Dunn brothers who become the Six are mainly doing cover versions and what have you. But, you know, I didn't feel like these people were as passionate about music as they said. That didn't really come across to me. It was very heavy on the exposition. I don't think really I had any care about any of the characters. You know, it was very sort of generic. You know, she had mummy issues. He had daddy issues. Um, Do you know what, though? I think that it's already been mentioned, but when Daisy uh, goes out to that car park and yells at that guy, I'm not going to be your muse. I'm going to be the somebody. And he laughs at her. I was I was on board with that. I was like, yeah, the laughter. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed her sort of like. Oh no, I, I was on board of... with laughing at that cliched line as well. Oh no, I, 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 I thought she was being a, a principled feminist taking a stand, even though if I had written the song called Stumbled on Sublime, I would have happily given it away because that also, bad name for a song. You have to think that this is the 60s and, you know, there, ha- there weren't as many songs then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did we do the Dawn test? How many episodes? I did, yes. I watched three episodes, but I have to preface that by saying I was sorting socks while I did it. Do they get better at fake piano playing? Because that is one of the worst fake piano playing scenes I've ever seen committed to film. She was cut off at the shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) And this is meant to be her shining moment in the bar where she realises that it doesn't matter what her mother says or what anyone says, she can do this. Back in the 90s, I remember watching quite a few of these types of films 
about bands. I definitely will remember one about the Carpenters and one about the Beach Boys, which were on Channel 5 in the afternoon. It does feel it has that quality of production, I'm afraid. You know, the, the bad wigs, the lack of makeup, the you know, the so aging is... And this is Amazon no. money they've got. This isn't Channel <laughs> yeah. 5 Mm-mm. behind the Yorkshire Farm money. <laughs> the problem is that we don't have the history of them. And so we don't have that same interest in wondering, okay, why are they so messed up? Why is whatever? Because we don't know how messed up they are. We don't know what happened. Although there is a very slight look special at the start because they they, a couple of little soundless clips of the the big concert. I think it would have benefited from being more of a look special. I think it would have been better if we'd seen them breaking up and the fights and the whatever Mm. happened then we go back to find out, okay, where did they come from? Where did it start? So that we at least care what their issues are. And because I just don't care that, okay, you know, he's got daddy issues. And as you say, you know, I'm not that interested because I don't care how it ends up. And it's the structure I think is is a a problem. One of the most interesting things we don't really explore in in episode one is uh, Simone, uh, Daisy's friend and Mm. uh, who is a queer black woman uh, in music in the 70s. And I'm really interested. I, from what I've read, we do get a lot of her story. And I'm interested in oh her. Oh, my God. Tell me that story. Don't <laughs> tell me about these boring people. Don't tell me about Fleetwood yeah. Mac. Tell me about her. The showrunner is the same guy who did A League of Their Own. And uh, hmm. apparently this this story isn't very much in the book. And he wanted to make it more so, so... Hurrah for that, and it's a shame the rest is the same. <laughs> and you've got a lot of socks to fold, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I do. I have 60-odd socks. I don't know where the partners are. Someplace <laughs> in this house, not anywhere. Maybe Dawn Glenn and the socks could be. The... I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. As I said, this is Prime Video, very odd structure. There's six at the moment, and then there'll be two and another two in in the following weeks. So that's Daisy Jones and the Six. We now go to Sky and Max. Um, a Town Called Malice is a new uh, 1980s set irreverent thriller, I would call it. It comes from Nick Love, who brought us such seminal 2000s films as The Football Factory and The Business. And Sky Max fan Sarah Kennedy is going to talk us through this one. This first episode centres on two young people called Jean and Cindy. Um, Jean picks Cindy up at a, a club that she's working in. They've been together for, I don't know, six, seven weeks and they already want to get married. And she's being introduced to the family. These are the Lords of South London, a previously notorious gang. Jean is Jack Rowan, who you might recognise from Noughts and Crosses. Uh, Cindy is Tahira Sharif from Waterloo Road. Cindy might actually yet be an asset to this family because she's certainly brave in uh, rescuing Jean from the cops. She runs a policeman over. That's quite impressive. All hell breaks loose then. The coppers are at the front door. Jean and Cindy have to run away to Malaga. Jean, I think, is quite interesting. He seems to be a bit of a black sheep. As he's, is he trying to make the break from the family? Does he feel unappreciated? Um, wants to make his own way in the world? Well, he certainly has to now. 
So word comes that the policeman has died. So this is now a murder charge and they don't know if they can ever go home. Um, there's no extradition from that area of Spain, famously full of gangsters. <laughs> so they'll fit right in. They meet Uncle Tony in Malaga, who is the very definition of a bit much. But he's got a fabulous house. He's got all these plans to buy land and put in a resort hotel. And he's got this amazing car and all of these connections. Uh, but these are all lies. Jean decides to stick around and help Tony, even though Cindy thinks he's a waste of space. Um, and it's their shared dream to get rich quick with this resort hotel. Cindy is fast getting annoying. She's constantly furious and mouthy. But to be fair, she does keep getting underestimated by literally everybody. And honestly, I think she's the brains of the operation. And by the end of this episode, we can see that. Uh, Mikasa S2 bloodbath, um, which I think is the Spanish <laughs> for the for the what happens at the end. Um, and it turns out that Cindy takes advantage of this violent chaos. Um, Jean might think he's the smart one, but I don't think he is. She is ice cold. She shows no mercy. It's so 80s. It's every outfit, every haircut, every backdrop. It's so stylish. It's all vivid colours and neon. It looks gorgeous. It's really thoughtfully framed every shot like looks like a poster um it's basically a series of pop videos which is no surprise given the title there's a frantic pace there's not much that gets explained there's no time and i, I just thought it was a little bit style over substance well actually quite a lot style over substance here what did you guys think i i suppose i started liking it but i think by the end all the characters turned a bit sort of off-putting really i mean I think Jean is this sort of sympathetic, lovable black sheep, as you said. Yeah, you know, he's, I, like, I almost, he's the youngest son, isn't he? So I, he, he's trying to find his place in the world. One thing you mentioned briefly there, Sarah, but it bears repeating. This is almost one big music video. It's it's a soundtrack looking for a TV show, really. That's how I described it. <laughs> it I is. mean, this is the only show whose press pack contains a track listing of every episode if you go on the website and it starts actually in a club where Jean is trying to pick up a potential match by them mouthing the words to Boney M's Mar Baker at each other and I thought that that would be sort of something that they would do you know and, and that would be its sort of trademark you know you'd have moments where the characters would maybe sing along to songs and some of that happened I mean you find out that Uncle Tony is actually this crooner in a club and he does a very interesting interpretation of Spandau Ballet's True. Do Grey Scott seem to be having the time of his life playing this character? Some odd casting Martha Plimpton as as the matriarch of this family, you know, from The Goonies and uh, Raising Hope and things like that. I, I was trying to decide if she was doing a a cockney accent i think she was um jason fleming you know ex of guy ritchie is in safe territory here playing the mm. the patriarch i believe eventually the entire family does move out to spain as well so you yeah know, they're all that's that's why i'm not cutting my losses with episode one because that's what i wanted to see more of mm. if we're talking about a gangster family then i'd like to see all of them please you know and how they interact you know what nick love is going for here is is the the very sort of stylishness as you said about this and i i liked jean cindy i think you know you're meant to not trust her you know there's a call she makes from the airport just before they mm. get on the plane the central 
police officer, the the detective, I didn't know what to make of it. She was Irish and she was just very, very over the top every time you saw her. I didn't get on with that character. You know, she was trying to get justice for her fallen partner, but I just didn't really buy into her very much. Obviously, she's got a history with this family. It was just a bit jumbled and, and you know, the things I remember most are the, the songs that were played and the very sort of scenery tuning performance from Dubray Scott. And, you know, I'm not massively into this genre. I just remember Nick Love being his name being all over these films that starred Danny Dyer, as I said, in the mid 2000s, and also responsible for that really awful Sweeney film with Ray Winston and um, Plan B. Not for me, but as you say, very stylish, has to seem to be believed. They do some interesting things. Dawn, what about you? When I saw it was Gangsters, I was like, ooh, I'm out. And then I saw it was a musical love letter to the 80s. I was like, ooh, I'm back in. Uh, so I... <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I described it as ashes to ashes meet sexy beast, which I think, mm. you know, <laughs> it's got the um, very over-the-top 80s style. And I watched two episodes. I can see they do continue the mouthing along to songs. I was kind of hoping it was going to be a musical. I'm, I'm afraid. It would have worked better. It would have felt more original, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. not original songs, but just something that you don't see, you know. Yeah, I think it would have been really good as a musical if they'd just gone the field. Because it's like it's half-heartedly, they, they have characters mouthing or singing a couple of lines, and then they stop. I'm like, no, go for it. Go for the mm. full thing. It isn't my thing, and I don't think it's hugely original in terms of plot and whatever. Uh, but I, I will say that I thought the, the best thing in it was the uh, actress that plays Cindy Ta- Tahira Sharif, is that her name? She is very interesting, but obviously she has some interesting history, and I'm interested in that, but the, mm. the family, the gangster family, just, it's not my thing. I'm not, I, I don't think it's original here. I don't think it's a, a dynamic that's going to be particularly interesting. I don't care about them enough. And I, and I will say, if you like Martha Plimpton and you want to see her as the mother of a gangster family, watch Sprung on Freebie. It is hilarious. One of the funniest <laughs> scenes I've ever seen. It, it made me laugh so much. Set in the pandemic in America. Watch that rather than Tank on Malice. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think this will find an audience. I think there are people out there who will enjoy this you know it's memorable it's not one that i don't think i'll forget in a hurry because they have done a lot to make this as stylized as possible and and you can see the money on the screen whereas with 
with Daisy Jones, you put, perhaps didn't. <laughs> um, the money was obscured. It was wearing a strange wig. The money went on the soundtrack. They they spent too much money on that Lord of the Rings thing, did Amazon there. They did, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's Sky Max uh, on Thursday nights. Finally, also dropping all on Thursday the 16th on our favourite ITVX. Uh, we have Bali 2002. This is based on real events drama. And it's originally on one of my favourite networks or streaming services. It's an Australian streaming service called Stan. <laughs> and um, Dawn has very kindly offered to guide us through this one. This is telling us about the events surrounding the uh, 2002 bombings in Bali. We follow several groups of people who are caught up in the, the bombings. There's a couple from England, uh, Polly and uh, her husband, Ben. I don't know why they do this. I've never heard of this before, but they take their entire wedding party on honeymoon to Bali where they met. That's not, that'd uh, be nice. <laughs> <laughs> not if you were getting married, but if you were one of the wedding party, you'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, who does that? Takes their, takes their entire... But anyway, obviously it really happened. And then we see uh, a pair of Australian backpackers, Nicole and Nat. There are other people who we don't follow, but we I've, I've watched the second episode and it follows the same pattern as the first episode, which takes us back to various people traveling to Bali how they get there so we see other people they've they interact with so there's a, a surfer called Jono who um, meets up with other surfers Ali, Hannah and Mark one of the main characters in this show and is billed as, as one of the, the big the big names is Rachel Griffiths the uh, actress from I don't, my immediate thought is uh, Muriel's Six Wedding feet under. Six Feet Under yeah, six feet under is what she's best known as. She isn't actually in this first episode at all. Which, so I watched the second episode to sort of glean who she is. Uh, she plays a doctor who pioneered spray on skin, this cell rejuvenating spray, which basically creates skin from nothing uh, for burn victims. And also we follow Graham Ashton, who is the Australian Federal Police Commander who goes to Bali to investigate the bombing. But central to it all is a local woman, uh, Nilu, who is married to a chap called Geddy, and they have two children, and he works in one of the bars where the bombings are. What happens with the bombings is that there are two men who are Muslim extremists one of them goes into Paddy's Bar, which is a, a very big bar for British and Australian tourists. He's wearing a bomb. He sets it off. And then uh, several seconds later, someone outside in a car sets off his bomb to affect another club across the street called the Sari Club. Uh, the British people are in the Sari Club. The Australians are in Paddy's. They're all caught up in the explosion. Hundreds of people are injured. and. Uh, in the end, 202 people died, we know, uh, as the end result. But this focuses on the chaos that happens afterwards. How unprepared the local hospital is and the local police. The conflict between the Australian police who want to investigate it and the Indonesian police who want no interference from international police uh, services. They don't want to talk about it they don't want to 
you know, think about the fact that they're terrorists. They also have a very strong religious core, and there is a feeling that the Western tourists brought this on them by being there, and it is their sinful behaviour that has caused this. And that is kind of what this character of Nilu she represents. Her husband is standing next to the car when it explodes, so he is neither a body in the me- the mess, uh, nor is he um, uh, in uh, the morgue, nor is he in the hospital, uh, because so severe is the, the this explosion. Um, we see how there is a Australian doctor called Vidge who is there on holiday and he basically takes over in the, the local hospital and had it not been for him, more people would die. The press back says that this focuses on the heroes and the, the people who managed to make something from this, the, the, the police officer, how he creates an investigation, this doctor who saves people's lives with a very controversial cell spray and how these people who survive because in the groups that we follow obviously some of them die instantly some of them survive some of them die after a period of uh, because this is the problem with burns burns is the main uh, problem that all the victims have and because of the way burns work most of them feel okay at first but it will get much much worse so what did you think of it, Matt? Yeah, um, I think the, the the fact that I didn't know any of the characters' names who were involved in the in the blast, I think that is a an issue. Um, it is a tragedy, and I thought the actual visuals throughout this were very well handled. I think the shock of those two blasts were, you know, really well filmed. All this chaos in the hospital these local doctors who really weren't prepared and a hospital that wasn't equipped to deal with this issue. The police investigation, which starts towards the end of this first episode, looks to be interesting, but I just don't think they did a good job at setting up any of these characters. As I say, really well filmed, very authentic in terms of its depiction of the actual tragedy, but the characters that you follow you don't really care about so I didn't care about the impact that the, the, the bombs had if that makes sense. Sarah what about you? It's really hard to put what I thought into words because this this is about real people and families that are still coping with this loss and have given their permission to the producers to tell this story. Um, if you're gonna do something so heavyweight and so important do better. The performances weren't even wooden, they were cardboard. It looked like a set. It, there wasn't anywhere near enough a noise and commotion actually during the blast and afterwards to make it feel real. It's like the actors weren't allowed to do any proper acting until they got to the hospital scenes. That actually did touch my heart and it did feel a bit more real. Um, but otherwise, it seemed like a bad episode of Neighbours. And that's not just because of the accents. It seems that they must have done this on a shoestring budget because it looked rubbish i didn't get any names the only person that i knew anything about was the new wife who's a workaholic but that was the only thing i knew about her the first two scenes as the wedding party uh, they're listening to the speeches um and as the um girls are heading off for their holiday 
the way that they said barley every three words it was so so often it almost made it sound like a nonsense word it just didn't I just I know where you're going I know what the title of this program is just get some better dialogue the most useful and important thing that I can probably tell our listeners is never tie a tourniquet over the wound you must tie the tourniquet further up the limb two or three inches above the cut or else it's not going to help and it's just going to hurt the person even more than a tourniquet proper tourniquet would i've just been um first aid certified so there you go go. god's honest truth (laughs) yeah exactly you learn something from this podcast you know it's not just anecdotes it's life advice i thought it was interesting and i did wonder if they might go into the sort of uncomfortableness of being a sort of you know exotic tourist island like a desirable place like Hawaii or something that everyone wants to go to and it's only six hours flight from Melbourne so I guess they just think of it as as their own really don't they but it's it's a real place with real people and real problems and sometimes the tourist economy often oftentimes really directly contributes to that you know the sort of like the political and the religious backdrop to it all but yeah if it's just going to be people tying tourniquets wrong them not interested in watching it. I, th- I think there's so many threads they want to tell and they don't know what to focus on. You know, the, it, is, it, is it story of these survivors and their fight to rehabilitation for those that survive? Is it the story of the, the Australian authorities? Is it the story of this doctor? And the, from what I can see from episode two, you know, other doctors are saying she's... Um, performing unethically by using her, her stuff on on victims who can't give their permission in such a big real incident obviously there are a lot there are hundreds of stories to come from it i wish they picked one and mm. focused on the story rather than trying to tell the story from all these different angles of all these issues would it have been better had we started with the the blast and then some flashbacks of these characters after the fact, you know, when they were in hospital, or would that not have mattered? I don't think we would have needed flashbacks. I think we would have just, as they are all, not all together, because what happens is they all go to different places. So they go to Perth and to Melbourne and to um, Canberra, but they obviously interact with each other. And I think a lot of the exposition could have come then as they're, as they're, Mm dealing with the aftermath and and the PTSD and whatnot as well. I suppose the question is, do you need to root for these people before? Because presumably that's why we get all this, you know, the preamble with the terrorists as well, don't we? I mean, there's that scene where we see them preparing. Do we need that to have this relationship with them ahead of what happens or does it not matter? Do you not, do you think it wouldn't have like mattered, you know, if you knew nothing about these characters? Yeah. yeah, I think it would have mattered, yeah, because we're just humans. We care that mm. people are victims. No. It just depends on the quality of the acting for me, right, and it okay. just wasn't there. See, I, I thought you rooted for the uh, the British wife because she's played by Claudia Jesse, formerly of Line of Duty, and is from Birmingham. I knew I recognised her. <laughs> or Mosley, <laughs> to be specific, if you want to. That's, that's like three miles away from my house. Yes, of go. course. All four episodes are now up on icvx dawn are you going to be continuing you know the second half or you know i don't no? think i will no. I don't. I, I'll, want... I'll read up on what happens. 
instant. But... You just wanted a bit of Rachel Griffiths. Yes, <laughs> I did. Okay, so that is another podcast in the books. Uh, thank you very much to Sarah and Dawn uh, for joining me. Uh, do you want to just go through your Twitters and where we can find all your all your stuff? We'll start with Sarah. I was going to say, let me go first, because you can only find me in one place, at Sarah Hamstera on Twitter and whynow.co.uk if you want any of my TV witterings. So that's two places. That is two places. I realised as soon as I... <laughs> I, I was like, does he just want Twitter handle or does he want something else as well? Oh man, I've stuffed it. Change that in the edit, boys. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at DonGlain2 and the shipyard is at the shipyard USD or on the uh, interwebs. Uh, the website is tvshipyard.com. We are the custardtv.com. Find the podcast on any of your podcast apps of choice. Please rate, review, subscribe there. Uh, you can contact uh, myself at Matt's TV Bytes, Luke at Luke Custard TV, the podcast at Custard TV Pod. Uh, we are on Facebook, we're on Instagram, it's the Custard TV, and you can email us, custardtvreviews at gmail.com. Next week, we will be looking at the new series of Race Across the World, as well as Amazon Prime Swarm, that's from Donald Glover. But until then, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favourite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.